is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. Welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Usually I'd be in a much better mood as we're this close to the start of the 27-2018 hockey season. And I will be doing this every day for anybody that's new listening to Game Misconduct. We just don't pop in every once in a while, every once a month, every once a week. We try to do this sucker every day. And I was so pumped to talk about it, but there's just so many depressing things to get to. I guess we'll start with topical first, and of course that's the shooting in Las Vegas earlier this morning or last night, depending on where in the country you are. And as of right now, we're recording this around uh, 2 o'clock Eastern time on Monday, that 58 people have died, over 400, close to 500 injured, and I'm sure those totals may rise. And apparently one of the victims of the shooting, uh, that has survived is UNLV assistant hockey coach Nick Rabone. And at last check, he was out of surgery to remove a bullet uh, from his chest, resulting in the tragic events that had happened uh, yesterday. Uh, it was tweeted out by the UNLV Rebel Hockey. Please keep our assistant coach Nick Rabone in your thoughts and prayers. We will update everyone on his condition when more information is available. So if you want to follow at UNLV Rebel Hockey to get updates on Nick. But the hockey community certainly is a very close one, whether it's professional hockey, whether it's minor league hockey, and certainly college hockey. So that uh, news hit us today. And, of course, the news yesterday was very devastating around the hockey world with the loss of Dave Schrader. And I was very, very fortunate to know Dave and consider him a friend. We had worked together quite a bit years ago when I was working for the National Hockey League on NHL Live, which originally started as a satellite show on Sirius, then went to XM during the merger, and then, of course, ended up on television at NHL Live. And I did it with Jim Cerny back in the day, Nick Fercasi, and then uh, had a chance to do it most recently with EJ Raddick, who you hear occasionally uh, on uh, our podcast here, Game Misconduct. And I got a chance to work with him when he was with the Coyotes, national radio games, all-star games, Stanley Cup finals. He was a mentor. He was a friend. And I did get a chance to see him for the last time in May when he was calling a Ranger playoff game for NBC Sportsnet. And I had a chance to talk to him. And it was just a kick to the gut to hear the information yesterday because it felt like he might have been in a place where he would be with us much longer. I knew that the bile duct cancer that he had was so rare, there wasn't really much information to see how they can go about treating and and ultimately determining the survival rate of that type of a disease. But talking to him, he said he was a little tired from working for the first time in a long time, but it seemed like, at least conveying it to me, that this was something that uh, might not happen anytime soon. And then the summer happens, and then we find out yesterday that he succumbed to it. Such a good guy. Such a great family man. And just to look at Twitter and to hear remembrances from people within the hockey community and their memories of Dave. And one of my funny stories with him, there's actually two. And one of them goes back to 2010's All-Star Game in Montreal. And my wife is a huge Canadians fan, as many of you may know. And I had taken her to the All-Star Game. And we were at Da Vinci's, which is a tremendous Italian restaurant in Montreal. And the NHL was nice enough to take all the broadcasters out for a dinner, and Dave was there, and Greg Baldinger, who was my boss at the time at the NHL, was there. And he joked with me that he would watch NHL Live, as voice of the Coyotes, outside, beautiful weather in Arizona, in his bathrobe. 
And he'd enjoy it with a cup of coffee because, of course, because of the time difference in Arizona, two hours. We went on the air at noon, so it was 10 o'clock in the morning for him. And he would listen to it on Sirius XM <clears throat> or he would uh, watch it on NHL uh, television on the NHL network in his bathrobe. And then forever going forward, whenever he'd do a game, or I'd mention to my wife something about Dave, he'd, he'd be the bathrobe guy because that was the story that he told. And then most recently during the Stanley Cup final of 2014, he was calling the games for international radio, and I had the call on the radio side for game one, and I was out in Los Angeles at the Staples Center for the morning skate. And Michael Kay, who I do the show with here in New York on 98.7 ESPN, always, very uncomfortably, by the way, always referred to Dave Schrader as a really handsome guy. He's like, that guy's a really good-looking guy. So when I saw Dave, I said, listen, I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm just going to take a quick picture of you and send it back to my co-host back in New York who thinks you're a really attractive guy. So that was kind of uncomfortable, but he took the picture, and and um, it was just a kind of a funny moment. So these are the things I think of because Dave was a fun guy. He was a family guy, and I'm sure he's looking down wanting to see people talking positively about him and remembering him fondly and, and putting a smile on people's faces rather than, be sad about his passing, but deep down inside, everyone is. And if you're listening to this podcast, that means you're a really diehard hockey fan. You're listening to podcasts about the NHL, podcasts about hockey, then you're passionate about the sport. And whether you broadcast the sport, whether you play, whether you're a fan, whether you're a member of the media, we're all a family. And I don't know why that is uh, compared to other sports, and I've covered other sports, so I, I know what I'm talking about that there's something about the hockey community, maybe because it's so tight-knit, maybe because it's so small, maybe because it's not covered like the other three major sports are. But when you're in it, you know each other, you love each other, you care about each other. And when somebody passes, it hits everyone. And just judging by you on Twitter, even the fans who maybe never had a chance to meet Dave, work with Dave, still felt that closeness to him because he was a member of, of the hockey community. He was a member of our community. And I think that's very, very important. So God bless you, Dave. You're probably, most likely, most definitely in a better place. And hopefully there is hockey in the place that you're at because I know how much you love the sport and how much we loved you. So you will forever be remembered in our hearts. And thoughts go out to you and your family on uh, what was a very, very difficult weekend for the National Hockey League. Now to more mundane things, and that's the actual sport of hockey. It has just come down officially that Yarmir Yager is still in the National Hockey League. He has signed a contract with the Calgary Flames. So for the first time, number 68 is going to play in Canada. So all the teams that he's played with have been in the United States. And now for the first time, he will play with one of the seven teams in the National Hockey League's up north version up in Canada with the Calgary Flames. I think it's great. Um, he is going to be 46 years old in February. I mean, the guy just continues to play. There was some talk he played for the Czech Republic. There were some thoughts that he might play in the KHL and, or retire. But he was waiting. Opportunity came, and he's going to play with the Flames. And this is a Flames team that, when you look at them, they may not be the Edmonton Oilers, but they're there. They're a playoff team, and they're a team that I think is going to really – take that next step and make that Battle of Alberta just so much more fun than it's been for basically the last 20 years. They almost played in the playoffs last year. Edmonton's right there as a cup contender. I think Calgary's slightly behind, but it's going to make for a tremendous amount of, uh, of great hockey to watch. 
And Yarmir Yager is going to help that team. He's going to help them on the power play. He's going to give them a veteran presence. They've got a good blue line. They've got good goaltending now. And I think this is a hockey team that really can appreciate and love Yarmir Yager. So this isn't just some gimmick. I thought maybe he'd sign with Vegas and play there to maybe put a few more fannies in the seats and create interest in what might be a losing season for the Golden Knights. I'm happy that he's on a contender. Um, he has not won a Stanley Cup since winning the back-to-back Cups in 91 and 92 with Pittsburgh. He played in a Stanley Cup final with Boston. He's flirted with a cup uh, but hasn't had a chance, whether it be in New Jersey or Florida, in the last few years to compete for one. And now I think he's got an excellent chance to at least be in the playoffs and maybe have a, a conversation of helping that team win their first Stanley Cup since 1989. So I'm really happy that Yarmir Yager is back in the NHL. The other topic of conversation is we could prepared for the start of the season on Wednesday, and we'll go over the schedule before we get out of Dodge here on the podcast. There's been a few rule changes. One of them I suggested last year that I love that the National Hockey League put in, and that is if you challenge offside and you're wrong, you get a two-minute minor penalty. It is a tremendous idea by the National Hockey League. The reason I thought of it back last year was you had so many of these long delays determine whether somebody was offside or not. Was his foot off the ice? Can you see an angle where he might have been a centimeter past the blue line? If you're a coach and you've just given up a goal, are you going to take a chance on a borderline offside call to challenge it and then risk losing that challenge and now have to kill a penalty. You've just given up a goal, and now your team is going to be shorthanded for two minutes. I guarantee you game one Stanley Cup final on that Subban goal that was erased when Nashville scored the first goal of the Stanley Cup final. Sullivan does not challenge the offside because he doesn't want to fall behind 2 nothing in game one. So clearly to me, this is logical. Now, if they blow it and it's clearly offside, then yeah, then you will issue the challenge and... You won't have to worry about it coming back to bite you. But if it's so darn close where it takes – there was one game a couple of years ago, Capitals and the Jets in Winnipeg. It took eight minutes to determine whether the player was offside or not. That's not going to happen because that coach isn't going to take the chance. And if he does, then he deserves the penalty and see if you guys can kill it off. So I think you got to be thrilled with the institution of that rule. The other one that's completely on the opposite side, and most people are going to be completely negative about it, is – the face-off. Now, there's some confusion about this because this is not a new rule. It's just making sure that they call the old rule. If you remember, coming out of the lockout, one of the rules that got lost with all the different changes with the elimination of the red line and the clutching and grabbing was that if you have a false start on the face-off and you get kicked out of the face-off dot, the next guy comes in. If he gets kicked out of the face-off dot, it's a delay of game penalty. So that hasn't been instituted basically since the first year of the rule. Now, they're going to be stricter on whether you're on the line, whether you're moving too early. Now, the the players are flipping out because in the preseason, so many of these penalties were called, and they're screaming, saying, this is, this is new. I'm not used to this. Well, if you paid attention to the rule, or if the officials enforced the rule over the last 10 years, you would have known it. So now they've gotten completely too strict with it. It's happened in other sports. When Major League Baseball 30 years ago decided to really enforce the stopping and and not having the balk, all of a sudden there were balks all over the place. What's up with this new rule? It's not a new rule. They're just paying attention to the old rule. But they've got to relax it. You just can't have a parade to the penalty box. You can't have delay after delay after delay every time it's going to be faced off. 
Make sure both guys are, are, are in the designated area and they're not touching the line. They're not moving too early. Drop the darn puck. That's one of the things that are so frustrating about the National Hockey League and hockey in general. Why doesn't the linesman drop the puck? The fans start booing. It delays the action. Get them in there. Drop the puck. I don't know why they have to get so crazy about face-offs. I understand face-offs are important, especially when you're trying to kill a penalty, especially when it's in the defensive zone, especially when it's a one-goal game or it's tied at overtime. But they've got to relax this just a bit and let the players get used to it because no one is going to tolerate the delays and then the penalties that are going to be caused by this. So, yes, the players have to learn their lesson, but the league has to be a little lenient to start to make sure that they reinforce the muscle memory of the faceoff. It's very difficult for a hockey player to do one thing their entire lives and then change it. You didn't call the rule over the last 10 years. Now all of a sudden you want to enforce it. You've got to allow the players to make the necessary adjustment. We will see if they make that adjustment in the regular season, and it begins clearly on Wednesday with three games. We've got Winnipeg home for Toronto. We've got St. Louis at Pittsburgh. We've got Edmonton home for Calgary, and we've got Philadelphia and the San Jose Sharks. I mean, just think how crazy that is that Philadelphia is going to have to start the year out west. I mean, that's a bad thing because you can get off to a slow start in a very competitive metropolitan division, but it could also be a good thing because you get the west coast out of the way, so later on in the season when maybe some of your competitors are going out west, you're already taken care of it. But that's a tough Start to the year for Philadelphia, a borderline playoff team to begin with in my eyes, and then having to start out there in in the West. But those are the games that we're going to be looking at coming up on Wednesday. And we will do another podcast coming up on Wednesday to give you a little bit more of a preview of those games. Well, your homework assignment was to tweet me, and many people have today. And again, if you're new to game misconduct, we try to do this every day. And we try to make it as interactive as possible. So we want you to tweet us so we can answer your questions. Tweet me as often as possible. There's no rules. Just keep doing it. All I ask you, if there is a rule, is that you give me a hashtag game misconduct so that I can find them on my Twitter timeline and I can read them to you. So let's get to the few we have today. Sam asks, he wants to talk about the Rangers, is Hayes the Rangers' second-line center? And assuming AD is cut, who do you think makes the roster, Camphor or Holden? I know they're a little higher on Holden than they were Camphor, although I think Camphor does have a place. So that's going to be a, a, certainly a very difficult decision for the powers that be, Elaine Vigneault and Gordon. But, yes, Hayes right now is the second-line uh, center. Uh, that that could change, obviously. Miller can play center. Uh, we'll see if Dayarnay uh, becomes more of a fit. I see him as the fourth-line center. But right now, Zabanajad number one, Hayes number two. This is a big year for Hayes and Miller. They're coming into their own now. You can't say they're kids anymore. They've played a lot of hockey. they played a lot of playoff hockey. they played a lot of big games over the last few years. So it's time for them to turn the corner. And I said it last year, and I'll say it this year. Those are the guys, including Kreider, that have to take that step because they can't be baby. They're not kids anymore. Now you're going to find out what kind of NHL players they're going to be, and I think it's going to start this year. Um, Gee says, uh, rest in peace, Dave Strader. Not much else to say when someone in the NHL family passes away. And, and certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to him, and I'm glad that you um, and mentioned that in your tweets. And also we should mention, because we haven't, since we've been back here with game misconduct, it, uh, Eddie Olchuk has been diagnosed with colon cancer. So certainly Ranger fans and Winnipeg Jet fans and Chicago Blackhawk fans 
and Toronto Maple Leaf fans where he played, uh, but also the Blackhawks because those are the games that he calls, and of course, entire NHL nation for what he's done with Doc and Pierre as the number one broadcast team on uh, NBC. He's part of our family, so we wish him nothing but the best. Looks like Mike Milbury is going to fill in for the time being until Eddie comes back, but having talked to Eddie during the course of the summer, he's got every intention of beating this, and I think he will, and he'll be back with us shortly. So as we remember Dave Schrader, our thoughts and prayers also go out to uh, Eddie O. Let's go to Jolly, who says, doesn't it seem a little off? Vegas has the Canadians at 16-1 to to win the Stanley Cup. Meanwhile, they have Columbus at 25-1. to Well, here's where we stand with this. If you were listening to the game misconduct, you know I have Montreal missing the playoffs. People get high on goaltending. I'm going to tell you this all season long. It's not enough. you got to have guys up front. You need a great blue line. So I think people get caught up. Oh, well, Carey Price is the best goaltender in the NHL. Then Montreal must have an excellent chance to win the Cup. I disagree. Now you look at Columbus, kind of a different story. They've got the players. You just don't know if Bobrovsky's the guy in the postseason. He hasn't been. But Tortorella's won a Stanley Cup, as Claude Julian has. So we should not uh, say that there's any kind of advantage Columbus to Montreal because of who the coach is. But I think Columbus is banging on the door. I think they've got a better chance to win the Cup than Montreal. And I can't speak for Vegas other than I think they look at the goaltending and say, I think Carey Price is better than Bobrovsky. I think Carey Price has shown more in the postseason than Bobrovsky has. Fair enough. But I think overall, Columbus is better and they should be higher. And if people agree with me, then those odds should change if the betting starts going Columbus's way. Uh, Al asks why um, Heidel over Anderson, and of course we're talking about the New York Rangers young kids, and Anderson, the first-round pick this year, did not make the team. Uh, Heidel did. Um, Was seven too high for Anderson? No, I wouldn't look at Anderson being a bust because he didn't make the team. I look at it as a team that wants to be competitive for the Stanley Cup this year, and they want to pick the best guys to give them a chance to win. And I don't. I never looked at Anderson as a guy when they drafted him to say he's going to pay immediate dividends. The feeling was that he could make the team, but there's a lot of other young, good uh, competition. There was a lot of good young players that came up. If you watch the Rangers during the preseason, it seemed like all their kids were playing. Pionk had a good uh, a preseason as well. Not everybody can make the team. I think Anderson is a part of what they do. If you've watched the Rangers over the years, they do a good job of bringing some of the younger guys up. Would not be surprised if we do see Anderson sooner than later. But you want to reward the guys that have great camps. He was the best young player in the camp, and you want to reward that guy with a chance to make the team. So I would not not read this as Anderson being a bust. I read this as... This is a very deep, young team, and you've got to be happy with that. Hayward W. says, Don LaGreca, and thank you for the Game Misconduct podcast. So far, the NHL, the Rangers put him on MSG television. Uh, well, that's nice of you to say that the Rangers have put me on MSG television, but I'm happy where I am doing the radio. I will be in Toronto to call the Rangers and the Leafs on Saturday. I'll be home against the Montreal Canadiens on Sunday, so I'll be calling two of the first three games. Kenny will have the call against the Avalanche on Thursday. Uh, Mikel asks a great question. Hi, Don LaGreca, a new listener here. Heard your predictions. Have you done any postmortems? How did you do last year? It's a great question. I have to go back in the archives and see. I get so caught up in watching the season that I forget who I predicted. I'd have to go and check. But if you're trying to see 
if I have enough of a track record to be right this year, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, just got to take it to face value, I guess. I don't know if I've got a record off the top of my head to tell you that I was that I nailed all of my predictions last year. I got some right. I got some wrong when I made my predictions on how things were going in the playoffs at the start of the playoffs. But you know what? From now on, I'm going to pay attention. You heard them. We'll write them down. I got them in my notebook, and we'll revisit it at the end of the year. We'll have a conversation in June how I did with my picks. Actually, we'll have the conversation in April because that's when the playoffs begin to see if I was right about Montreal, if I was right about Carolina making the playoffs. I actually did uh, surprise some people with uh, those two particular picks of Carolina making it and Montreal not making it. Uh, Courtney says, what did you think of all of the penalties in the uh, preseason? Well, as we mentioned, the penalties in the preseason, a lot of them came on that new face-off rule. Uh, they've got a new slashing rule as well. Um, it happens. You've got a lot of kids playing, a lot of kids playing under different rules. I wouldn't get overly caught up in saying one team is undisciplined and another team is disciplined. When I watched a lot of the preseason games, I saw a lot of players that I had never seen before. And I saw a lot of guys struggling to try to make the team. So young, It's a young sport now, trying to get younger guys involved. So a lot of teams are taking chances on their draft picks to try to make the team, and those kids are going to make a lot of mistakes. So I wouldn't get too crazy about the number of penalties. And I don't think I'd get too crazy on the number of penalties early in the season either. But you got to hope that these teams can kill these penalties. You don't want it to cost you. still early. Teams get better as the season goes on. But you can dig yourself a hole. You cannot win a Stanley Cup in October, but you can certainly lose a Stanley Cup in October. We've seen it before. You dig yourself a hole you can't get out of. So you got a lot of young teams out there. They're going to make mistakes, but those veterans are going to have to pick up the slack. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. Today's Monday, but we're going to come back on Wednesday. Do an in-depth preview on the four games that are going to be played on Wednesday to kick off the 2017-2018 season. We're going to have guests. We're going to dive in to our conversations with E.J. Raddick. Um, we're going to have uh, Dan Rosen. I've reached out during the course of the summer to a lot of the play-by-play and color analysts on radio and television around the league. So we'll get specific to teams during the course of the year, and we're going to try to bring in as many experts as humanly possible to try to forward the information that we have. But I need you to get involved. So at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. You have a question about your favorite team. You got a question about your favorite player. You want to get into anything about the NHL. You want to criticize anything about the NHL. You want to kill me. This is your form to do it. At Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. And if you hashtag game misconduct, I can find it easier on my timeline and we can have a conversation. So we'll reconvene on Wednesday. We'll try to get a bunch of guests on. I think we're going to try to nail down E.J. Raddick. He's going to have a weekly, get a preview from him, of course, from the NHL Network. And if there's a guest you want, it's a player you want, like I said, I'm going to be on the road with the Rangers. I'll try to talk to some of them. So we're going to try to open this up as much as possible. We originally started Game of Conduct as a local New York hockey show. It's now expanded into a national show on the ESPN platform. So I want to be able to go out there and give you as much information on all the NHL as I can. So... Tap into this information, tap into this resource, and have some fun. So this was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. We'll be back with you again on Wednesday. 
Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.